Now you get what she's talking about when she said a bunch of weirdos here. Uh, hey, uh, a son went to his dad one time and said, Dad, what is an alcoholic? The dad said, Son, um, do you see those four trees in the front yard? He said, An alcoholic would see eight. The son said, Dad, I only see two. Listen, it only goes down from here, from here. And I will laugh at my own jokes if you know me. An elderly man gets pulled over at 2 a.m. Yes, we're going deeper. At 2 a.m. gets pulled over. The cop comes up and says, uh, Sir, might I ask what you're doing out this late at 2 a.m. in the morning? The elderly gentleman said, Well, well officer, he said, I'm going to a lecture about drinking the effects it and smoking has on your body? The officer said, uh, Sir, who would be giving a lecture at this time of night? That would be my wife, sir. <laughs> Come on now, let us sink in. On a more serious note, uh, they say alcohol can damage your short-term memory. Imagine what alcohol can do. I'll just let it sink in. Let it, let it sit there for a minute. Let it stew. Let it stew. Say, uh, well, listen, uh, we kicked off this series last week uh, called Hot Topics with something you're never supposed to talk about in church, politics. And we talked about, it was called political climate control. And we talked about this. When Jesus came into your life, when you asked Jesus into your heart, he just didn't come in to take over sections of your life, right? He came in to take over every part of your life, and yes, that includes politics. And we said this, should a Christian ha ha get involved with politics? Should, should they have a, a political opinion? Absolutely, absolutely you should. But you don't have to be a jerk about it, right? Yeah, you have a political opinion, but you don't have to be a jerk about it. And we said this, Christians should be able to sit down have a conversation with wisdom and discretion, not pride and arrogance. And we looked at the life of Daniel. Uh, the king, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, had ordered all the wise men to be killed. He had had a dream. None of his wise men could interpret the dream. And so he said, okay, kill them all. Just, just kill them all. Well, this involved Daniel. And Daniel made a conscious decision. I could just pray about this, and we're all about prayer. I think you should pray. But Daniel said, I'm going to pray, but I'm also getting involved. And Daniel made a, made, made a commitment to involve himself in a political choice. And because he inserted himself in that, he not only saved his life, but the lives of hundreds of others. That was week one. So here's week two. You ready for week two? All right, today's message in the words of the famed poet, Jamie Foxx. Blame it on the alcohol. So, this, no, no, that's a musical reference. Nobody got it. Come on now. Thank you, thank you. Hey, one, one of the things that gets tossed around in Christian circles and, and ask is this, can you be a Christian and drink alcohol? Can, uh, can you be a Christian and drink? Is it a sin to have a beer, to drink wine? And, and let me start off with saying this. I've learned this. Anytime someone comes to me and says, Pastor, is it a sin for me to do whatever, whatever it is they're asking? 
times out of 10, yeah, it's a sin for you to do whatever you're looking for an excuse to do. Because you're usually asking, is it a sin for me to do this? Because I really want to do it, but I just want somebody to okay it with me. So nine times out of ten, that's what it is. But is it a sin for a Christian to drink alcohol? Uh, before I tell you where I stand on this, I'd like to know where you stand on this. So I've got some three categories. And if you, if you are in either one of these categories, I want you to be bold and say, yeah, I'm in that category. No judgment. No judgment from up here. Maybe some out there, but then up here. So category one, this is where you stand. Drinking or alcohol in and of itself is a sin. That's how I was raised. That's how I was taught growing, what I was taught growing up. If that's the category you fall into, raise your hand. Yeah, we've got some. All right, here's category number two. Drinking or alcohol is not a sin, and every follower of Jesus should let their conscience guide them. If that's you, raise your hand. Got a few Methodists and Presbyterians in the house today. So, okay. Um, so, category, category three. PK, I honestly don't really know. I would love to hear what the Bible has to say about it. All right. Okay, there's several you didn't raise your hand, so I'm going to go category four. I'm not going to raise my hand because I don't want to be judged for what I really do believe. We got one right there. Thank you. Thank you, English. We all know what you believe. Let's go. Anyway, no, we don't. All right, you ready? You want to know what my opinion is on it? Any wrestling fans? It doesn't matter what my opinion is. No. Come on, little rock, little rock. Come on now. We said this in week one. It really doesn't matter what my opinion is on it. It matters what God says about it. As Christians, the word of God, it should be the end all of everything we say or do. It should be the final authority on our lives, right? And Because I said this earlier, when we gave our heart to Christ, we didn't, he didn't just say, okay, I want this section, this section, this section. No, all of our lives. Now, let me say this. If you had asked me this question growing up or years ago, is it a sin, alcohol in and of itself, I would have been in group one. I would have, I would have been very adamant. Yes, it is a sin, and I would have argued in a non-Christ-like matter that I was right. But you know, I didn't know why I believed that way. It's just what I was told. And I'm finding a lot in Christian circles in the church, a lot of people tell you what they believe, but they have no idea why they believe what they believe. And so, and this was due to how I was raised, the church environment I grew up in, where, get this, being a Christian, Christian was more about what you didn't do than what you did. Now, if you ask me today, is it a sin to drink alcohol? My answer for that is the same as if you were to ask me, is it a sin to drink soft drinks, coffee, sweet tea, or energy drinks? The answer would be, it very well could be. Well, Kelly, that's kind of a vague answer. Well, I want to look at the definition of sin that James, the half-brother of Jesus, gives. James 4, 17, he says this, It is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do that. 
So is it a sin to drink alcohol? Is it a sin to drink uh, Pepsi, uh, Cokes, a sugary product, sweet tea? It very well could be. If your doctor has told you you've got diabetes or you're pre-diabetic and you need to lay off the sugary drinks, guess what? It's a sin for you to drink it. If you know those type of drinks affect you in a negative way, yet you drink it anyway, to you it is a sin. It's a sin. Let's look at water. Let's say, Kelly, nothing's wrong with water. Let's say you, you, you're, you're, you've got a bottle of water. You've got two or three bottle of waters. But across the street, there's someone that has none, and they are dying of thirst. They need something to drink, yet you keep that to yourself. It's a sin. It's a sin. So drinking alcohol of any kind could very well be a sin. Well, what does the Bible say about drinking? All right, so let's go with the side that says it's okay to drink. We know this, that Jesus at the wedding in Cana turned the water into wine. And listen, there is no, you can debate this with me all you want, but it was actual wine. It was not Welch's grape juice. It was wine. <laughs> Somebody getting excited about it. Listen, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy, apparently Timothy's having some issues with his stomach. He says, hey, drink some wine for your stomach. Paul also lays out in 1 Timothy guidelines for elders, for leaders in the church. He says this, don't be addicted or given to much wine. Paul tells Titus in uh, Titus 1.7, the overseer must not be addicted to wine. In Titus 2, Paul says, older women are not to be enslaved to much wine. Ezekiel 44.21, a priest must not drink wine before entering the courtyard. Did he say don't drink? He said, don't be given to it. Don't let it control you. Now, those that stand on this side that says drinking, I can drink as a Christian, you're like, that's right. Preach, preacher. (laughs) But before you get ahead of me, I want to give you some warnings that the Bible also gives us about drinking. Ephesians. (laughs) Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Hosea 4.11, wine has robbed my people of their understanding. Proverbs 20 and 1, wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. How many knows alcohol drink bring, uh, leads to brawls? Come on. I, when I was in the club, when I had just enough, I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof. I could whip the biggest man. It did, come on, anybody else? I, I forgot. I'm in, I'm in a room with saints. Uh, let's move on. Proverbs 21, 17b. Those who love wine will never be rich. And let's look at one more. Proverbs 23, 29, 30. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine. I could go on and on and on, but let me say this. There are more cons or warnings about alcohol than there are pros in the Bible. But with that being said, listen to this. If you're taking notes, we are not commanded not to drink, nor are we commanded to drink. 
Are you following me? We're not, if you'll bring that point up for me, we're not commanded not to drink, nor are we commanded to drink. As a follower of Jesus, can we agree we have certain freedoms? That we are free. Here's what I find, though. When I get asked the question, is it a sin to drink? Either they're wanting to know the answer, they want to know what scriptures backs up their point that, that you cannot drink, so they can go tell all their other friends that believe it's okay, and they can prove them wrong and prove themselves right. On the other hand, those that, want to, that do drink or think you can be a Christian and drink, they also want to prove to the others that they're wrong and they're right. Guess what is in both of those? Selfishness and pride, which are the two main ingredients of sin. No matter which side you stand on. And so what I want to do today, whichever side you're on, I want us to look at what is our responsibility as a follower of Jesus. Not do I have a right, not do this, what is my responsibility as a follow, follower of Jesus? To the Christian that is on this side, you cannot drink, be a Christian. To the Christian on the other side of it, yes, you can absolutely. Here's what you need to understand. You can be 100% right and 100% wrong. You can be 100% right, but the way you tell someone is 100% wrong. The way you go about it. First Corinthians, if, uh, if you've got a Bible, we're going to get there here in a moment. First Corinthians 8 is where we're going to be. I want to give you two questions, though, before we get there. That you must ask yourself, whether it, whether it comes to drinking or anything else that you're wondering about. The first question is this. What does the Bible say? Remember, as a follower of Jesus, that's the most important thing. What does the Bible say? Being a Christian, I believe that the, word, the Bible is the Word of God. I believe it goes into detail about what believers are to do and what they're to avoid doing. It gives us boundary markers. Come on. And what's our community church? We are a Bible-believing church, and we will not apologize for being that. I believe that the Bible is still relevant. I believe it still is applicable to anybody's lives, no matter where you come from, no matter your ethnicity, no matter what your background is. It is still the Word of God. I believe that. 1 John 3, 4 says this. Anyone who indulges in sin lives in moral anarchy, for the definition of sin is breaking God's law. Now, let me say the sin he's talking about. We've, we've all, don't act, we all do this. We've got our top 10 sins. You know, the sins that we like to call sins because they're the things that we can say we don't do. We can back brag about what we don't do and point out all the sins that other people are doing. He's not just talking about those. He's talking about he, he's talking about anyone who indulges in sin lives in moral anarchy, breaking God's law. As James says, when you know what you ought to do but you don't do it, it's a sin. So the first question that needs to be asked: What does God's word say about it? Hear this very close. We do not filter God's word through culture. We filter culture through God's word. 
We don't filter God's word through our opinions or preferences. We filter those through what God's word says. And it's important. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word, it will last forever. What's he said? Culture will pass. Trends will pass. Political parties will pass. But the one thing that will never pass away is my word. It will not change. The second question that you got to ask, what do your convictions say? This is where it can get a little tricky. What, what do you mean convictions? Convictions is when Holy Spirit will come in and whisper in your ear, no, 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 that's not for you. Stay away from that. Or he'll even tell you, you need to do this, you need to do that. That's conviction. Why is that important? Because there are some things that God's Word doesn't speak directly to, so it becomes a matter of personal conviction. And, and, and here's the thing. As a follower of Jesus, you have to learn to depend on the leading of Holy Spirit in those areas. And, and it's also where it can get confusing because one believer, their conviction allows them to do this. While another believer, their conviction says it's sin. And it can get tricky there. But look what Paul says about this in Romans 14, 23. If you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something or drink something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you're sinning. Paul's like, I don't care what brother or sister so-and-so are doing. Their convictions may allow that. But I'm telling you, this for you, you cannot do that. And if you do it, you're sinning. You're sinning. And now, now, I'll say this. There are certain things earlier in my life I have very strong convictions about. As I've grown older, there are some things I still don't care those convictions about. But I will say this. If the Bible says it's sin, it doesn't matter what your convictions say. It's sin. And if, you, if the Bible says it's wrong, it's a sin, and you continue to live in that, then what has happened is what the Bible calls a searing of your conscience and you need to ask Holy Spirit to come in and renew your mind because it doesn't matter what your conscience or your convictions say if God says it's wrong in his word. Are you with me? Which leads me to another thing when it comes to alcohol. The Bible is very clear about one thing when it comes to alcohol. Getting drunk is a sin. Is a sin. You need scripture. Pull, pull up those scriptures for me. I'm not going to go through them if you want to take a picture of it, if you want to go home and look them up. These are just a few where it talks about getting drunk. So today we're going to spend the remaining uh, portion of our time in 1 Corinthians 8. Um, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, we're going to bring it up here. Uh, but let me give you some backstory. 1 Corinthians is actually not the first letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. I mean, when you look at 1 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul says this, when I wrote to you before. So it's not the first letter. And we don't know, theologians don't know what happened to the, to the first letter, but we know that this is actually the second letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth, even though it's called 1 Corinthians. Well, Paul had been in Ephesus for about two years when he gets word. There's a lot of arguing. There's a lot of back and forth. There's division going on in the church at Corinth. Let me say, the church at Corinth, the people there were incredibly talented, skilled, had a lot of abilities. They were what we consider apex leaders. You would want them on your team. But the one thing that was lacking 
was love and grace. They spoke a lot of truth, but they didn't mix any love. They told you this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong, and there was no allowance for grace and truth. So they had all the skills, they had all this, and there's division going on. You know what the division is about that he's having to address? Food. He's addressing food. And you've got to understand what, what's going on, on here and why they're having to address this. You've got a group of people that believe it's okay to eat meat that has been involved in pagan worship or pagan temples. You've got a group over here that are vegetarians or vegans and that can be very, I don't know if they are. No, I'm just saying that. But anyway, but it says, no, you cannot eat that meat. It's wrong. It's a sin. And so they're arguing. And it's not like they were going up to say, hey, hey. They were going to the pagan temple and said, I want the good stuff, the stuff you've sacrificed to idols. That's the meat I want. Here's what a lot of historians say. They say that, that, that in the temples, the best cut, they had the best cuts of meat if you wanted a steak. It would be the difference in going to Waffle House and ordering a steak or going to Ruth Chris and ordering a steak. That would be the difference. Other historians say this, that it would have been virtually impossible to even find meat that had not involved, been involved in some way in the temples there. So you've got this big debate going on about, well, well, can we eat meat? Can we not eat meat? And they're divided on this issue. This would be the equivalent to us asking, can we drink alcohol or not? Can we eat this meat? Can we not? And so uh, you, you've got one side. There's, these are just idols. There's nothing to it. Drinking alcohol is not a sin. Then you've got the other side. If you, do your, if you eat that meat, you're worshiping idols. Alcohol is a sin. So Paul is getting ready to address this issue. Look how Paul starts out this in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Let me address the issue of food offered in sacrifice to idols. It seems that everyone believes, imagine this. Everyone believes his own opinion is right. I know it's hard to believe that there was a time when everyone thought their opinion was the one that mattered and was the right one. But Paul said it's happening here. How easily we get puffed up over our opinions. But it is love that strengthens the church. Then he adds this, anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. That's t-shirt material right there. But the person who loves God is the one, one whom God recognizes. Paul's like, listen, I know we've got our own opinions on what's going on here. And we all think our opinion is the only right and viable one when it comes down to this. But before you get puffed up, before you get all self-righteous about your personal opinion, you need to know this. This arguing, this going back and forth, all that stuff, it's doing nothing to advance my kingdom or to help the church. In fact, it's doing the opposite. It's tearing the church apart. You're acting like you have all the answers when you don't know Jack. And he's getting ready to talk about this in more detail. Verse 4. Concerning food, sacrifices, offerings to idols. We all know that an idol is nothing. For there is no God but one. Although there may be so many so-called gods in this world. And in heaven there may be many gods, lords, and masters. Yet for us, there is only one God, the Father. Out of him 
is all things, and our lives are lived for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus, the anointed one, through whom we and all things exist. Paul said, well, listen, we, we all know that idols really aren't anything but wood and stone. That, that's all they are. They're not gods. We know that. That's our common ground on this issue. Let's find that. We can agree. But then he goes on. But not all believers know this. For some were former idolaters who consider idols as real and living. That's why they consider the food offered to that God as defiled. And their weak conscience becomes defiled if they eat it. Here's what, what Paul is saying here. is something that would help us go a long way. Paul's like saying, I, we know this. But there's some that you, you need to understand where they come from. You grew up in church. You grew up knowing, but there's some new believers that grew up doing things that you never were a part of. They grew up in worship. And so for them, this is wrong. For them, when they see that kind of meat, it triggers something inside of them. You need to understand that. He says, yes, we know that what you eat won't bring you closer to God. You're no better if you don't eat certain foods and no better if you do. We know that. It's not about what you do. We know that you're free to eat these things. But then Paul leans in. Look what he says. But you must be careful that your freedom doesn't cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. Paul says you're free. That's true. And you should celebrate your freedom. You absolutely should. But you need to understand also you have brothers and sisters in Christ that are not as free as you are. And when they see you doing those things, it's going to cause them to stumble. In other words, don't give room for your freedom to become someone else's chains. We've got several people in our church that served in war. They know what war looks like. And here's what I, I, I know from talking to them. No soldier that I've ever talked to has ever gone in and fought selfishly, saying they're in it just for them. The fight that for freedom they were fighting was for their brothers, was for family, was for their country. And I think we need to understand our freedom, we cannot use it selfishly. That freedom that Jesus purchased for us is also for our brothers, our sisters, our family members. And, and, those, and we cannot allow our freedom to become someone else's chains. Paul continues, verse 10. For if a believer with a weak conscience sees you, who have a greater understanding... Dining in an idol's temple, won't this be a temptation to him to violate his own conscience or convictions and eat food offered to idols? Listen to this next part. So in effect, by exercising your understanding of freedom, by exercising your freedom, you have ruined this weaker believer, a brother, a sister, someone for whom Christ died. Because you were so selfish and and wanting to exercise your freedom to eat, to drink, you've now caused a weaker believer to stumble. And good, like this, Paul says, this is very serious. Look what he says. When you sin against other believers by wounding their conscience in this way, you also sin against the anointed one, Jesus. Underline that word sin. I'm not even going to attempt to say the Greek word because here's what it means to miss the mark. 
to be without a share in, to miss or wander from the path, to do or go wrong. Here's how Paul says this is how serious. When you do this to your brother or sister in Christ, you're sinning against Jesus. You're missing the mark in who God has called you to be. You're missing the mark. God didn't call you to be selfish. He ends this even stronger. Verse 13. So I conclude that if my eating certain foods deeply offends my brother and hinders his advance in Christ, I will never eat it again. I don't want to be guilty of causing my brother or sister to stumble and be defeated. Underline, if you've got about that word defend, uh, uh, offends, because it's not the word we use as offend today. I mean, you can offend somebody today by wearing a color they don't like. It's easy to offend people. In fact, I'm just going to tell you, you may not like this, we're, we're raising a bunch of weak people that gets offended by the smallest thing. I'm like, you should have grown up when I grew up, buddy. I mean, we had, I think we need to bring back schoolyard brawls. Toughen up some people. I fought in the schoolyards. I got my tail beat, but I was tougher because of it. I knew what to say and what, what, not, what, to say, what not to say afterwards. But anyway, let, let's move on. When they say, you offended me, what they're saying is, you hurt my feelings. And Paul is not saying, he, he's not addressing that. He said, don't hurt their feelings. The word offend comes from the Greek word scandalazo. And here's what it means. Here's what Paul is saying. Pull, pull up that meaning. It means to put a stumbling block or impediment in the way upon which another may trip or fall, to entice to sin, to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey, to cause to fall away. Paul's saying, if what I'm doing, even in my freedom, is going to impede someone's progress to grow in Christ, if what I'm doing is going to put a stumbling block in front of them, I'll never do it again. Why? Because I may be free in this area. But what matters to me more than my personal freedom is my brother or sister here that's learning to grow in this walk with Christ. So maybe the question is not, is it a sin to drink? But maybe the question is, is my freedom to do so impeding someone else's walk with Christ? Had this talk a few weeks ago with a young man that's getting ready to get married. And uh, he was talking about... uh, wanting to have alcohol, wanting to have these things. And he was asking me my opinion on it. And I said, well, it depends on who you want at your wedding. I said, who's it important for you to be there? He said, well, what do you mean? I said, because I know some of your family and some of your friends that won't be able to go to your wedding if you have alcohol there, not because they don't love you, not because they think drinking is wrong, but for them, they cannot put themselves in that situation. They cannot put themselves around or in, in that kind of environment because they know themselves. I said, so it depends on who do you want at your wedding. Is it, does it matter if they're there? I'll say this. You invite, you invite someone over to your house that you know has an issue with it. And you sit down and have a glass of wine, have a beer. For you, it doesn't matter if you get drunk or not. If you know that they're prone to that, it's a sin for you. 
It's a sin for you. I'll never forget this happened years ago, but uh, there, there was a couple in our church that ha- had this big birthday party, and they, uh, BYOB, bring your own booze. It wasn't beer. They had their thing. And I didn't get invited to that party for some reason. Um, but I showed up anyway. <laughs> Just to see the look on their faces. So they were about an hour into the party when me and my son walk in. And it was like, hey, hey, okay. Hey, Pastor. And, but they had invited. And the reason, it, the, the drinking, it did not bother me. But, but what bothered me was they invited two different families that I know had struggled with alcoholism and addiction. And they'd invite them to this party where they knew. Casey, my brother Casey will tell you, he can't have one beer. He can't. It leads to another one, and then another one, and then another one. And that what bo- that's what bothered me more than anything, was you invite, and that's what Paul is saying in here. Listen, you've got weaker brothers and sisters. Great, you're free in that. that. That's great. I'm glad you're free. But you've got some brothers and sisters that cannot walk in that freedom. Their convictions and them knowing where they are keeps them from doing this. So don't bring them into your house. Don't bring them into your being and say, we're going to do this in front of you. Because then, yeah, it's a sin. While I'm on it, can I give some marriage advice? This is going to be free. Um, it's not going to cost you. Because me and my, yes, <laughs> you've already paid the admission. Uh, me and my wife counsel couples all the time. And one of the things that we've dealt with over and over is one of the spouses will say, you know what, they, they, they go out and they get drunk, and it just grinds my nerves. I cannot take them being drunk. And I say, oh, what, what do y'all, y'all have a glass of wine or at the house or a beer? Yeah, yeah, and I don't mind them having one or two. But then, and I'm like, you know their propensity to go that far. So what I'm asking you to do, if you love this husband, if you love this wife, love them enough to not say, you know what, because of where you're at and you're, I may be able to do it, but you can't, and we're supposed to be one now. I'm not going to allow this to come in between us. I'll do without. And, if, and, and I'll go even a step further. Get mad at me, that's fine. It won't be the first time. Uh, I'll go, if you cannot lay that down for the one that you said, I do before God and other people, you better question your love for them and for God. Are you hearing me? That's free. Let's move on. And here's the thing today, I'm not going to get into the dangers of alcohol. I could give you statistics. I could tell you how many alcohol-related deaths there are in America every year. But but at the end of the day, when it comes to this setting right here, it's not about that. What it's really about is your heart. Your heart for God and your heart for God's people. That's, That's what it's really about. When you became a Christian, here's the thing. You became part of God's kingdom. Meaning you, your goal in life should be to advance his kingdom. Before Christ, you lived in your own kingdom. Your goal was to advance your kingdom. And that did not work out for any of us, right? 
So now that we've given our heart to Christ, it is to advance his kingdom. What's best for his kingdom? Not me. And here's what Paul says in Romans 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. Get this. So then... Let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat or drink. Remember, he says, remember, all foods are acceptable. But it is wrong to eat something, and I'll say drink something, if it makes another person stumble. Then he says this, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Get this. But keep it between yourself and God. You know what Paul's saying if he was alive today? Don't post it on social media. Woo! Get right to that. Don't post it on social media. Why? Because people are watching you, either in person or online, and they're taking their cues as a young believer in what they see you do. Paul says, listen, if you believe it's okay for you, keep it between yourself and God. Keep it between yourself and God. You may believe there's nothing wrong with it, and your personal convictions may afford you that freedom. There's others that are watching you. And I'm, I'm telling you guys, we need, we need to decide are we serving ourselves or serving others? When we became a Christian, what is more important to us? Serving our own needs? Is that what Jesus came to do? Serve his own needs? Jesus said, I came to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Later on in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul tells the church at Corinth, and I want to read this from the Passion because it really just spells out what Paul is trying to relate to these people. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24. Paul says, you say under grace there are no rules, and we're free to do anything. We please. Not exactly, because not everything promotes growth in others. Your slogan, we're allowed to do anything we choose, it may be true, but not everything, not everything causes the spiritual advancement of others. And get this, so don't always seek what is best for you at the expense of another. Man, can you drink? Can you operate in this freedom? Paul says, you may be able to do those things, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. If it affects the growth of another one, if it's at the expense of someone else, don't. Don't. A few verses later, Paul would say this in verse 32. Make sure you're not offending Jews or Greeks or any part of God's assembly over your personal preferences. Make sure you're not putting stumbling blocks in front of others because of your personal opinions or preferences or don't put your personal opinions and preferences above advancing the kingdom of God. 
So is it okay if I could get the band to come on? Is it okay for a Christian to drink? Is it a sin for a Christian to drink? I think we need to ask ourselves some questions. One is this. Will my drinking create an obstacle or cause someone else to fall because they really matter to the heart of God? And will my drinking in this situation, in this environment, is it going to cause them to stumble? Second thing, am I using my freedom to serve myself or others? Remember last week we said this, your relationship with Jesus is deeply personal, but it is not private. And there are times that we got to think beyond ourselves, our own opinions and our personal preferences. Another question, will me drinking in this situation or on this occasion, will it hinder or help the body of Christ? Maybe we need to ask this, why am I so adamant about my opinion on this? And in this situation, will me drinking, is it going to bring glory to God? Because Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, eating, drinking, whatever, do it all for the glory of God. See, I think that, that we have the potential in everything we do to bring God glory. I believe when I play with my grandkids, it has the potential to bring God glory. I believe that. Wrestling around, being stupid with them has the potential. I believe me taking my wife out on a date, potential to bring God glory in that environment. I believe me hanging out with Casey, with, with, with Bob and Ben and some of these others, and that's just being stupid. Even in our stupidness, God gets glory. Why? Because bonding of brotherhood. Here's what I want to do. I want to make sure whatever I do, and when I do those things, it does bring glory to God in some way. Stand with me across this room. Prayer team, if I get the prayer team to come on up. I'm not even going to ask you to bow your heads. Oh, man, I believe God God wants to do some things in here. But here's what I'm going to say. Maybe you've got something in your life. And you're like, you know what, Kelly? I've got freedom to do, do this. But I don't want it to cause somebody else to stumble. I had a dad come up to me after church, after the 9 a.m. service. And he said, you know what, Pastor? He said, I dipped my whole life growing up. My boys saw me dip. Now two of my sons dip. And I have to wonder, is it because they saw dad doing it? And now they have the hardest time trying to break free from that. And I believe we all, man, whether we're parents or friends, we've got things that we're doing. And we don't even realize people are watching us. And there are things we need broken off our life. And if you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor? Pastor? 
I've got something in my life that I want broken off. I don't want this to be handed down to family. I don't want to hand this down to my kids. I don't want to hand it down to my friends. I want it broken off of my life. If that's you, I want you to step out and come down right now. I know you're here. Come on. Come on. That's it. Come on. You, hey, it doesn't have to be one. It could be a mindset. You've got a poverty mindset or you deal with depression so much and you're like, I don't want to pass those things down. Or you just got a negative mindset where everything is negative, everything's wrong, everything's this. And you're like, I don't want to pass those things down. Get up here. Get up here now. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Come on over here and pray. Sheridan, would you mind praying with this young lady right here? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Amanda. I believe there are other men in here. As a dad, there's some things in your life you don't want to hand down. You don't want to pass down. Right right there, Caitlin. Or maybe you say, you know what, Pastor? I just don't want, if there's something I'm holding on to, that may cause somebody to stumble. I want God to change my mindset about that. I want to begin to care more about people than I do my freedom to do this. If that's you, come on down. I'm telling you, God is moving right now. God's moving right now. 